All right. Well, it is good for us, again, as Tim mentioned, to uh, have braved the elements to be out here together. In fact, I think I need a little crowd participation just to celebrate that we all made it here. So uh, just everyone else, let's just go ahead and stick a hand up in the air real quick for me, as if I'm going to call in. Come on. I can see that you're not, so you can't hide from me. It's like you're on video in the other room. Okay. And we're just going to take it. We're just going to bend the elbow a bit right there. And this is for coming to church in the snow. Way to go. Okay, that's just a warm-up for the real crowd participation here this morning. Um, real quick, if you're new with us, my name is Brian. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here, and I'm um, sorry that you have to participate. Uh, but here's what you got to do. Next, I need you to find a partner. It might be, as Tim mentioned, a, a, a Valentine sweetheart, or maybe you're single here today, you need to find a Valentine sweetheart. It doesn't matter. But just find somebody. I'm not going to make you kiss. That would be weird. Um, maybe not. And I want you to repeat after me. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to say, I'm so glad that I don't look like you. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> That's just not nice. That's just not nice. Okay. All right. One more time. And this time I promise to be nice. Okay. You can trust me. I'm a pastor. All right. Turn to your neighbor and repeat after me. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And now you're like, if, I'm, if it's your first time, it's like, not only is this church not nice, they're just weird. All right, I'll come back to what that's all about. Uh, but in the meantime, to help us get ready for that, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of John chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible of your own here today, you should be able to find one in the pew rack in front of you with the page number there on the screen. Um, and if you don't have a Bible at all of your own, we invite you to take that uh, with you as a gift from us to you to have. And so the book of John, as you turn there, it is actually one of uh, four gospels or four books or four accounts, really, of the life and ministry of Jesus. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that all from different perspectives give uh, an account of the story, the life, and the ministry of Jesus. And today we actually begin a series looking at specifically the book of John, both today and in the weeks leading up to Easter, uh, entitled Revealed. Uh, using actually the words of Jesus himself in John chapter 17, it says that he, Jesus, has revealed God to us in himself. And so that's our aim over the next several weeks, that we want to reveal to you who this Jesus is uh, more uh, clearly so that we might follow him more closely in our lives. And to start that off in this first initial sermon with this series in mind, I want to reveal to you today that what Jesus is going to reveal more importantly, Jesus is going to reveal to you today the two most important decisions you will ever make in your entire life. That Jesus in this, in this chapter, chapter three, he's going to reveal to us the two, it's like two outs in baseball, the two most important decisions that you will ever make in your entire life. More important than uh, who your Valentine is, more important than who you marry, more important than you could say the job or even the career that dictates much of your life, more important than even the city that you choose to live in or wherever. It is more important, both of these decisions, than any other decision that you will ever make. And so that is what John chapter three is going to reveal to us. And as we see set that up, uh, I want you to look with me at the first uh, verse and a half 
of chapter three. Just the first verse and a half as it sets up not only these two most important decisions, but also this entire series as we aim to understand more who this Jesus is revealed in our lives. John chapter three, follow with me, starting in verse one. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man by the name of Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night. All right, so we're introduced to this character, this gentleman by the name of Nicodemus. And uh, it says here that he was one of the religious leaders of the day. And so as a religious leader, you would think both from his perspective and ours, he would have, relatively speaking, his, you could say, a spiritual act together. He had it together. He should, uh, you know, know more than the average bear, if you will, for things on spiritual matters. But the truth was, as we're going to see here, is that Nicodemus actually feared that he didn't have it all together, that he really didn't know everything there was to know specifically about this Jesus whom we're going to understand more of here today. Um, in fact, he was so unsure, so uncertain, so even ashamed of, of trying to figure out who this Jesus was that he wanted to meet Jesus by the dark cover of night, that that was intentional language there to show that he didn't want to be seen with Jesus during the day because he didn't understand these things. Um, as it says right there, verse two, he came to Jesus at night. And she could say when it comes to Nicodemus, Nicodemus was the original Nick at night. I will be here all day, ladies and gentlemen. More goodness where that came from. All right, sorry, that's all I've got. All right. So he comes to Jesus at night and uh, again, so no one would see him. So no, so he would not be exposed for not having it all together spiritually. And we actually here today have more in common with Nicodemus than we might initially think, you know, a religious leader of the day, how does that have anything to do with us? Well, just like Nicodemus was uncertain and, and maybe even trying to hide the fact that he didn't have it all together I think that's the temptation that we face, frankly, each weekend when we walk into church, that we misappropriate this place as a place where those who have it spiritually together come and show that they have it spiritually together by the way in which we live uh, in this space. But in reality, deep down, um, we all have, you could say, gaps in our understanding of what it means to know Jesus, to know his word, and to follow him closely. And we don't have to hide behind that. In fact, Jesus said in his own words that this place is to be uh, not um, you know, a place for the healthy, but a hospital for the sick. It's uh, not for the righteous who have it all together, but a hospital for sinners. And so that's what we are. We recognize that. And so maybe for you, it's a story of you've grown up in church your entire life. You've been sitting in pews since you were literally in utero. And even though that's the case, you still, if you're honest, have just this sense like you're missing some of the pieces for what it means to um, follow Jesus. Uh, in that you feel like you should know more. And to be real candid, if someone were to ask you about to explain your faith in Jesus, you just hope they wouldn't because you fear you wouldn't know enough to be able to respond uh, to them about, the, as it says in Peter, the reason for the hope that you have. Or maybe today here, you're more like me and you actually, you didn't grow up going to church and you're kind of new to this whole thing. And you're just frankly thrilled that you know, like where it is you're supposed to sit, uh, when you're supposed to sit and, and when you're supposed to stand. Like if you've got that, you're doing pretty good. But deep down, you want to know more. You want to know more about where just to sit and stand when you're at church, but you want to know more who of this Jesus, what he is, what his word says, and how uh, you can have him more engaged in your life. 
In fact, if that's you, I can, uh, you can relate to me or I can relate to you in that. Again, I didn't grow up going to church and I remember I was a pretty new Christian, but I got really involved in my youth group. And so as a 17 year old kid, we had actually this retreat uh, that was taking place in our home, small youth group. And the youth leader was doing some teaching out of the Old Testament. And he was talking about the Israelites. And I'm listening to him talk about the Israelites and how these Israelites, how they, how they fought battles and they you know, won wars. And then sometimes these Israelites would disobey God. And finally, I just had to raise my hand. I was utterly confused as, as what I heard was actually two words. And I said, so explain to me how these Israelites, you know, these like, lights in the sky that shine down on Israel, fought battles, disobeyed God. And, you know, it's just like the youth leader didn't even know how to answer. They're looking at me like you're looking at me like, seriously? (laughs) I had no idea that there were actual people. And so if you feel like you've got some gaps in your understanding of what's happening in here, you're in good company. Even the guy on the platform is in trouble. So um, we all, we all have gaps that we want to fill when it comes to who this Jesus is, what he has to say in his word, and how we can follow him more in our lives. And so that is, you could say, the aim of this series, that we would uh, close the gaps on who this Jesus is, that we would fix our eyes as a church throughout this series, uh, as it says in Hebrews, that we would fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ himself. That regardless of where we're at in that faith journey, again, whether you're born into the church or it's your first time and you're like, man, I'm so glad you told me about that lights thing. I will not mess that up. I know this, that these are actual people. Uh, That wherever we're at, that we would embark on really what the mission of our church is. And that is to develop devoted followers of Jesus Christ. As a result of the next six weeks together, we would, because we would know him more clearly, we'd be able to follow him more closely as devoted followers of him. And then most specifically to launch that off today, again, we've got the two most important decisions you will ever make in your life uh, to set that up. So with that, John chapter three, verse two, let's giddy up. We're gonna get back into that text and learn what we see with Nicodemus, uh, Nick at night and Jesus. Okay, verse two, Nicodemus again, he came to Jesus at night and he said this, he said, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. So Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Puzzled, Nicodemus responds, How can someone be born when they are already old? Uh, Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, to interrupt this a little bit, in fairness to Nicodemus, this phrase, quote, born again, was brand new to him. He had never heard that. And so he had kind of a a different lens to which he was understanding. And frankly, I would say, um, we kind of probably need to look at this with new eyes today. For uh, many of us, we understand that term, born again. We've heard it uh, as a particular, maybe political view. Uh, But I would invite us today to kind of maybe shed that a little bit and look again at the original text of what did Jesus mean when he said what it means to be born again. So along with Nicodemus, we're going to look at it with fresh eyes as again, Nicodemus didn't have a political lens uh, in which he was looking through, but uh, more, you could say, literal lens as he really exclaims back to Jesus like, born again? 
Verse four, surely one cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And so from a literal sense, again, in fairness to Nicodemus, he's responding how any of us would respond, that the idea of going back into our mother's womb is illogical and gross. So Jesus clarifies what he means to be, quote, born again. Verse five, answering Nicodemus, he says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And so Jesus is clarifying what this really means. He says, being born again means, uh, it's a metaphor for saying you are being born into a whole new kind of life, even in the middle of your earthly life. Uh, That sure, again, physical birth is physical birth, but God's spirit invites us when we receive him into a whole new life that's led by his Holy Spirit alive and active in our lives. And so as Jesus is explaining this to Nicodemus, the next several verses, he really goes on to explain basically how, you know, Nicodemus is one of the teachers of the law. It's really important that you understand what this is all about. And he sums it up really in verse 15. He says essentially that everyone who believes, everyone who chooses to be born again in me, everyone who believes then will have eternal life. Essentially, Jesus is saying this to Nicodemus. You see, your understanding of the way the world works, Nicodemus, is a natural one. It's that, you know, you are born, you live, and then you die. Birth, life, death. Um, And we would agree, you know, first blush look, yes, we are born, we have hopefully a bunch of birthdays, and then we die. But Jesus says, no, 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 there is much more to this life than just this life. He says, actually, you start off, you're actually dead. And what Jesus means is that we are actually dead in our sins. We are, it says in the Bible, dead in our transgressions, that um, we are separated from having the life of a relationship with God, both in this life and for all of eternity, from a perfect God because of the sin that separates us. So we're dead in our sin. But then through me, through my forgiveness that made possible on the cross, if you receive me, you are forgiven of that sin and you are born again. You have new birth in me. And then from there, it's a new life. It's a new way of life, both in this life led by my Holy Spirit and for all of eternity. And so what Jesus is saying, you don't have to live at the, you could say the dead end paths of this world. That uh, if the fullest extent of our life is what the world has to offer, which is, you know, power or money or sex or affluence or influence, that these are the things that our world values, that that is your highest high, that in the end, you will discover that they are all death. They are dead ends. And instead, you could have a new life and a true life in Jesus Christ. And so he says Nicodemus, and he says this, it's not just birth, live a few years, death. No, it's We're dead if we're living the ways of the world, but instead we can choose to be born again, new birth, and then a new life, both now and for all of eternity. And how is that made possible? By arguably the most famous verse in all of the Bible, that even if it is your first time in church, you've probably seen this verse on a billboard or in a sports stadium, and that is John 3.16, where Jesus says, for God so loved the world, that he gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Meaning you're not going to perish to a dead end life, both in this life and for all of eternity in hell, but instead be given the gift of eternal life. 
both in this life and for all of eternity. That is who Jesus is revealed. If you want to know in a nutshell what this Jesus is and who he was and who he is for us today, it's right here in John 3, 16. That is Jesus revealed to you today, that he came, as it goes on to say in verse 17, uh, as some, I think, mistakenly misunderstand Jesus, that he did not come to condemn the world. He didn't come to tell people they're going to hell. No, Jesus, it says, came to save the world through him. That's why Jesus came. And in verse 18, it says, clearly, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And so all that to say, here we discover those two most important decisions that you will ever make in your life. That number one, the first and most important decision that you will ever make in your life is to make, or you even better said, to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Savior, and you might say, okay, that's not a word we really use. Another word we could say is rescuer or really the forgiver of our sin. He rescues us from the penalty of our sin, which is death and death eternal. He rescues us from that as he saves us from that through forgiveness. And again, in the gift of an eternal life in him. And so from there, we receive Jesus. And then the other most important decision, and it's not first place, second place. They, they really are one and the same. And that is secondly with that, the other most important decision is to then follow Jesus as Lord. To receive Jesus as Savior and to follow him as Lord. That Jesus Christ isn't the one who's, you could say, again, Lord's kind of a weird word for us too. You could say the leader, the one who is in charge, that his ways are the ways we follow, not our own ways, not the world's way. Because this is it. In the end, you know, when you say, when you're going to go meet your maker, these are the two decisions that we're going to all have to give an account for. That we will, on that judgment day, we will have to respond to the Lord himself. A, what did you do with my death on the cross? Namely, did you receive my forgiveness? Did you receive me as Savior? And then from there, did you surrender your life to me as the actual Lord of your life and be a follower of Jesus? Because that's what we all said, those of you who have signed on for that said, said, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. And so as a follower of Jesus, that's not a statement or a declaration, something we sign on, but that is a verb, that is a reality, that is a follower of Jesus, that would imply that we are actually following Jesus. That we are actually functionally following the ways that he has taught us to live our lives. And so Jesus goes on to reveal, here's how it looks to follow him as Lord, rather than the ways of the world. Verse 19, Jesus says, this is the verdict. Another word for saying, this is the bottom line. You want it all summed up? Here it is. Light, referring to himself, light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds would be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So essentially Jesus is saying the verdict, the bottom line is simply this. There are only two ways in which to approach the living of your life. Not saying you're gonna be perfect or get on wrong, but the outset, the way in which you live your life is either by darkness, the world's way, or by light, God's way. There is no in between. And what's sad is when it comes to these we've called them two decisions, making Jesus Savior and Lord, is that we inappropriately separate these two decisions as if they're two decisions rather than actually one decision. 
uh, to illustrate how this happens. Um, a number of weeks ago, uh, we had a sermon here on the topic of, we did a series called Common Threads, Common Things We All Face in Our Lives, and we talked about the topic of health. And uh, one of those things that um, when it came to me when I was actually preparing that message that I was convicted about was I've always been someone who's tried to incorporate exercise and stuff like that in my life. But when it came to the, um, you know, taking care of our temple, the body, by what I put into it as far as what I eat, in all honesty, haven't always been the best about paying attention to that side of it. So convicted by my own preparation. I thought, okay, I need to do a little better on the intake side of my food. And so in an effort to uh, pull together a, like a super healthy meal at our house, this was the dish that was prepared at Casa de Tolti uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so what you see pictured here on the screen is in that bowl is a uh, spinach and kale salad with cilantro lime pine nut sauce. In other words, the salad dressing was actually made out of salad. <laughs> you know you're in for a healthy meal when your salad dressing is made out of salad, just saying. From there, we have uh, in the bottom corner there some roasted adamame beans. I don't even think I'm saying that right. Adamame? Mame? Adamame. Then we have some baked Dijon mustard chicken breast on a bed of quinoa seeds. I was saying quinoa last night. It's two syllables, right? Quinoa. Super experienced in healthy food eating. <laughs> so which I got a picture of what was for dinner and I thought to myself, mmm. <laughs> that sounds great. In fact, all of that sounds great except for the spinach and kale salad. And except for the salad dressing made out of salad. And except for the roasted beans. <laughs> and except for the Dijon mustard chicken breast and the bed, except for the, the quinoa seeds or whatever those things. I don't want seeds, I want rice. Um, and so what I, what I was saying essentially was, all the benefits of eating healthy, you know, having, you know, better energy and feeling good and fueling my body with the good stuff. All of that sounded great, except for the, you know, the whole, all that stuff with eating healthy, it all sounded great, except for the actually eating healthy part. You see, I think that's what happens when we almost, when we separate Jesus as Savior and Lord, and treat them as if they're two things rather than one. And that we want all the benefits of Jesus being our savior. I mean, who doesn't want their fire insurance? Who doesn't want their get out of hell free card? Who doesn't want to have uh, an eternity with God in heaven? Who doesn't want all the blessings that come from being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus Christ? Yet, when it actually comes to following Jesus Christ, that, oh, I'm not just something I checked off on a box, but I'm actually functionally following him and obeying him and doing what he says. When I'm actually being a person who refuses to gossip. You mean to actually be a person who is a truth teller and doesn't lie and compromise integrity on anything big or small? To be a person who chooses to speak well of people and not slander them? You know, to, to be a person that actually loves my neighbor the same way I would love myself. 
to be a generous person that gives really back to God 10% of what I believe he's already given me and then even generously beyond that. Oh, to, to be a person that takes the gifts and talents not just for my own benefit, but actually to use them to serve one another and to serve others. To be a person who'd be willing to share their faith with someone who does not know a saving faith in Jesus Christ. You see, it's easy to want all the benefits that come with being a follower of Jesus Christ as Savior, but to separate that from him actually functionally being the Lord and the leader and the one we actually follow, that's when we mistakenly separate what is one decision. To make Jesus Savior and Lord is not two decisions, but indeed one. And so again, that is what we are setting out on as a congregation for the next six weeks that we would have revealed to us more who the Savior and Lord is to be in our lives. That again, we might more clearly understand and see him, that we might more closely follow him with the living of our lives. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at these topics of who Jesus was throughout the book of John. We're going to explore how Jesus has revealed himself as a healer, how he is the light of the world, how he is this great shepherd who cares for us as his flock. We're going to see how Jesus reveals himself by the power of the Holy Spirit, him alive in us and through us. And we're going to look at Jesus actually as an intercessor or a prayer for us. He actually, it says in the Bible that he sits at the right hand of God actually praying for us. How about having Jesus pray for you? That's a good thing. And then of course on Easter, Jesus doesn't just rise from the dead. He says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And so each week we'll be looking at those topics. And then with that, each week in between the Sundays, if you will, we're going to be giving you some resources to continue to reflect deeper on, again, our Savior and Lord throughout, as revealed throughout the book of John. And so we're going to be providing you with these twice weekly readings um, that uh, you can focus again on your relationship, how it is you're following uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ more closely, not just on a Sunday, but throughout the week as well. And really what we're asking you to do both on the weekends and being here, and again, something we know, and you guys are true blue you know, attenders because you're here on this snowy day, but we know that 50% of the people attend about 50% of the time. And so we would say make a commitment uh, to be here each week to, to grow again with that commitment leading up to Easter and to take advantage of the readings as really historically, that's what the church has always done. Depending on your tradition, you might be familiar with the term Lent. Um, and just a little hint, um, kind of like the lights thing, this is for free. It's not something from your belly button. Lent, <laughs> Lent is, <laughs> Lent is uh, a word, it literally means spring. It's from the old English. It, it talks about how in the spring, you know how our days get longer because the sun comes up early and goes down later. It talks about the lengthening of days. So that's what Lent literally means, if you ever wondered. It's the lengthening of days. And so what we're committing to as a church that we want to, as the days are lengthened, we want to lengthen, be intentional with our intention and attention on this Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And so these weekends and these readings in between the weekends are um, our effort as a church to do that together. And just another little side bit here when it comes to the readings, uh, that if you sign up for those, it's gonna be a little different if you've gotten the devotionals in the past where there maybe there's a verse and then some thoughts from Pastor Jonathan. Uh, nothing against Pastor Jonathan's thoughts, they're, they're very nice, but we're not gonna include those this time. Um, he's not in here, is he? <laughs> but instead... 
I'll explain, I'll explain. And so instead, we're actually going to give you just straight texts from the book of John. But with that, Pastor Jonathan is going to give you some instructions to Let's put it this way. All right, we all read stuff in our lives, whether it's texts or emails or the news or maybe novels or something like that. And sorry, this is a big sidebar, but it'll be okay. I'll get you out before it gets too bad out there. Um, We read in our lives for two reasons, either entertainment or information, right? Information or entertainment. But God's word is not intended primarily for either of those. We don't read God's word for entertainment or information primarily, but instead we read it for transformation, And so since the goal of reading God's word is different than any other kind of literature in our otherwise sphere of reading, wouldn't it make sense that we would read the way in which we would read God's word should look different as well? And so there's this ancient practice called Lectio Divina. It's a, uh, it's a Latin word. It literally means, uh, Lectio means to read. Divina or divine uh, means divine reading or sacred reading. And it's a way that uh, for centuries, uh, people have approached a prayerful um, study and a digestion of God's word uh, to allow God's Holy Spirit to work on us in a neat way. So Pastor Jonathan is gonna send out some instructions for how to do that, that will serve you well, both in these readings and frankly, for the way in which you read scripture for the rest of your life. So look forward to that. In fact, I think I just made a pretty good case for that. Let's put that up on the screen one more time uh, that if you weren't sold, now you are, that you can, if you don't already receive the uh, devotions and the things we've done in the past, that you can get those uh, via text by texting First Decatur to that number 24587 or right there on your phone. You can go to firstdecatur.org Bible study and get either text or emails that way. So there you go. We're going to be intentional with, again, giving lengthened attention in Lent to focus on this Savior and Lord Jesus Christ so that we as a church might be covered in the dust of our rabbi. Church like, oh yeah, that weirdo saying again. Uh, What was that all about? Okay, so may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi was a saying that was actually used in the time of Jesus. And the intent was... um, well, when you had a rabbi or a teacher, there would be his disciples or students. And a student or a disciple would aim to follow his rabbi to do everything that they said they should do. And not just what he said, but they literally wanted to be just like their teacher, just like their rabbi. So much so, it says in the ancient kind of rabbinic writings that um, the students, the disciples would actually watch the way in which their rabbi would chew their food. And they'd even try to emulate that, like the way they chewed their quinoa seeds, the same way that the rabbi would. (laughs) And so with this idea that you want to follow your rabbi very closely, literally as the students or disciples followed their rabbi around the towns, these dusty roads of those towns, they would follow them so closely that they would literally get the dust of their rabbi sandals kind of flip-flopped, you guys have been to the beach, flip-flopped and kicked up onto the garments of the student of the disciple. And thus the saying, follow your rabbi so closely that you are literally covered in his dust. And so that's what we're setting out to do, that as, uh, as a congregation, as a church in community together, let's say we're gonna get a little dusty going into Easter. We're gonna, we're gonna participate in worship. We're gonna learn more about who this Jesus is. We're gonna do the readings, all that. Again, we might know more clearly our Savior and Lord, that so we can then functionally follow him more closely as Savior and Lord. And so with that, 
um, to start us out of the gate together, again, as a church, um, to understand how this was all made possible. We're going to celebrate communion together as we close. And so with that, if you are preparing communion for us uh, here this morning, we'd invite you to go prepare for that. We thank you for doing that. Um, And when it comes to communion today, uh, again, just to celebrate and to recognize, you know, we are embarking on something different, something intentional as we lengthen our intention on Jesus Christ this Easter season. We're actually going to take communion and participate in communion a little different than we normally do. And that typically each week, uh, as the bread and the cup is passed, we take our individual bread and we take our individual cup. And then as individuals, we reflect on all that Jesus did and, and more than appropriate. And then we individually take our bread and individually take our cup. But today, again, in um, recognizing that we as a church, we're not in this alone, that we're in this together. Um, We want to, in communion, in community together, we're going to take communion a little different. And so today, instead of taking as the emblems are passed, um, we're going to invite you to take the bread and to take the cup and actually hold them. Just hold them. And then we're going to give you some further instructions here in a little bit on how we can participate together in solidarity to say, yes, we as a church, recognizing that out of the starting gate, this was all made possible by your broken body and your shed blood. We as a church set out this Easter season to lengthen our intention and our attention on your son, Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to do. And so I'm going to pray for us to prepare our hearts for that. And again, as the emblems are passed, just take the bread, take the cup, and hold them, and we'll give you further instruction on how we can participate together uh, this morning. So with that, let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks that you have not kept these things a mystery to us, but that you have revealed who you are in your son, and more specifically for us today, in your word in the gospel of John. Father, we thank you that you are not Savior or Lord, but that you are Savior and Lord. That it makes sense that a God who John 3.16 loved us so much to send his only son to forgive us our sins would also love us so much that as Lord of our lives would show us also a way that we can live our life that is to be trusted and we know is what is best and has our best in mind. So we thank you that you are both Savior and Lord of our lives and that those two shall never be separated. Help us with that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we might live indeed, as it says in John 10 in your word, that we might have life and life to the full. We remember now how that was made possible through your broken body and your shed blood. In Jesus' name we remember, amen.
Eat and proclaim together. Father, you so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son. By faith in you, we are not condemned, but instead forgiven. We thank you for your love and forgiveness. We thank you for the gift of being born again. We thank you for the gift of new life in you made possible through Jesus. As we eat together, we remember Christ's body broken for us. As we drink the cup, we remember Christ's blood poured out for us. Amen. Amen. And with that, we invite you to stand as we sing and proclaim the reality of what we just celebrated in Jesus Christ as we aim to be like him and following him in everything that we do.
Well, it has been good as a church to declare who this Jesus is together today and in moving into the weeks ahead. Again, if it's your first time with us, we would love the chance to get to meet you. And so uh, the easiest way to do that is when you uh, exit the room just to your left, there's a welcome center. And uh, we'd be happy to meet you there and uh, just get to introduce yourself to us and vice versa. And uh, again, welcome you appropriately here to the church. Uh, but with that also, again, if you're here and you're hearing about really not two, but the one most important decision that you will ever make both this life and for all of eternity, and you have not made that decision, you have not received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life, don't leave today without at least having a conversation uh, or setting up a meeting to have that conversation. I'll be up front. I'll be the last to leave. and I'll be glad to talk with you about what that could look like in your life. So as the crowd makes their way out, just kind of hang back and we can have a, a chat up here at the beginning. Or if you're one of those folks, maybe you, maybe you live, have lived inappropriately separating those two. You maybe, maybe you prayed a prayer at a camp, you know, 20 years ago, but you know, you might've wanted, you know, Jesus as Savior, but you have not been following him as the Lord and the leader of your life. And you need to recommit, you need to dedicate your life to functionally following him as a follower of Jesus Christ. And let's have that conversation as well. But for us all, uh, for as we go today and into the days ahead, may we, may you be covered in the dust of our rabbi, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a great day. See you next week.